The Rubio-Schumer amnesty plan passed the Senate, and it was on the verge of passing the House. House leadership intended to take it up and pass it with the Democrats overruling most of the Republicans. And the question for anyone on illegal immigration is where were you in that fight? Where did you stand? You are right. There is a difference between Senator Rubio and Senator me Rubio. on this well, question. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 30 of The Middle Unplugged. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill and less extreme and generally less angry conversation. So last week I explained why I thought that Biden v. Trump the terrain was actually pretty favorable for Joe Biden because of the surprisingly robust list of accomplishments that the current president could juxtapose with the erratic and mostly unproductive record of 45. But I conceded that there were issues that cut against Biden, and I mentioned immigration. Republicans like this issue so much because it plays to all their basest-based instincts. Xenophobia, white nationalism, white replacement, all that stuff. Their base loves all that immigration talk. They also like it because it's sort of, I don't know, evergreen. In order for it to be fixed requires real, difficult, grown-up legislating, which is also why, frankly, I like the issue. It's an issue that defines what I think is so wrong with Washington right now. The solutions are sort of obvious, so long as some sense of compromise exists and some willingness to push off our extremes exists. So this is the stuff of the middle. I used to do this sort of parlor game when someone would stand up at a town hall meeting and challenge me on immigration. I said I could overhaul the immigration system in two minutes and get over 75% of the audience to say they would vote for it. I was able to do it because, frankly, the moving parts of this sprawling issue are, in fact, not moving so fast. So here you go. We have about 13 million undocumented people in this country. No one thinks we're going to somehow round them up and expel them. And frankly, we probably don't want to. Many of them are contributing to our society. For them, you create create an unforgeable worker ID card that you get if you can show you have been paying your taxes, following the law, learning English, and not being a drag on our society. Remember, workers are here using fake IDs and paying Social Security taxes already. They're making up a Social Security number and the Social Security Administration is collecting their taxes, but obviously they're never going to see any of it. So those people also pay a fine, so there's no amnesty. And then they get the at the end of the line for citizenship and not the front. But they can come out of the shadows and theoretically leaving a much smaller group for us to pursue, the people that don't come forward, we then assume that they're the troublemakers, a much smaller number and a more manageable number. And if you don't come after, we've come up forward for this new ID card, we're going to come after you. On the employer side, if you hire workers who don't have that ID, you get punished and could go to jail yourself. Next, we deal with the problem uh, that so many of the 13 million don't want to actually stay here. They wanted to come here for work, send money home, and then go home themselves. But our immigration failures have meant that the law is actually keeping these workers in and not keeping them out. They've been afraid to leave because there is no functioning temporary worker program. What we do then, um, after we've created this situation where we resolve or at least start to manage the 13 million who are already here undocumented, we have to make sure that fewer or none, uh, no additional people come to add to that burden. And that's where we enforce all of our border rules. We hire more border patrol officers or whatever barriers we need to build. You want to build a wall if you think that'll do the trick? Okay, we'll do that too. 
than we do we take funding that's already been allocated and technology that already exists to scan cars and trucks and with screening technologies to stop human and drug smuggling. We invest in a robust court system, an administrative court system that can make legal immigration smooth, predictable, and expeditious. More hearing sites, more hearing officers, more immigration lawyers to help out those that need it. And we return to our traditional immigration priorities, attracting the smartest and best and brightest, unifying divided families, providing refuge for the unwashed masses, um, all through a much more orderly process. All of these features um, are very popular and they are opposed by elements of both parties. And in various forms, the minority of each party has succeeded in stopping progress around these basic ideas that a lot of people believe in. And if we take a look at just the last 20 some odd years, um, in 2006, there was the McCain-Kennedy bill. And their framework coupled, like I said, border security that Republicans were demanding with provisions that Democrats like, like offering um, undocumented immigrants living in the United States a way to earn their citizenship, just like I just described. Uh, Now, George Bush was the president at the time. It had enough backing to pass the Senate after Bush pushed that. Uh, But in a much more conservative House of Representatives, nothing happened. What did wind up happening was something they called the Secure Fence Act, which was signed into law, which basically tried to just go about this just as a security measure. Um, And just like Donald Trump's wall didn't do the trick, neither did that. Then in 2007, there was something called the Gang of 12. Again, moderate Democrats, moderate Republicans getting together. These were Democratic majorities now in the Senate and the House in 2007, after the 2006 midterms. And there was a lot of desire to try to tackle this issue. Um, The bill that that was proposed um, was basically triggered the legal status for the undocumented immigrants, first on meeting a series of border security benchmarks, because Republicans said, we'll go along with your things, but we want to do the border first. I believe that's a reasonable proposal. Um, And this gang of 12, it wind up failing because the fringes of both parties, there it goes again, the opposition of both parties wound up um, collapsing the bill. But there was still this element in the Republican Party in 2007 that still thought that immigration reform was a good idea. Hold that thought. In 2010, um, the, 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 the congressional leaders in the House were poised to lose control of the House. So at the very end, they passed, uh, uh, I guess it was we, I was there, by a very narrow margin, an effort to take care of the dreamers. Um, Unfortunately, in the Senate, it was stopped. Um, It was stopped. uh, uh, It never saw the light of day. Republican Republicans saw this as a grant of amnesty, and since it wasn't paired up with any enforcement things, uh, it failed then. Um, In 2013, and this is where the opening audio comes from, in 2013, there's this new gang, it's a gang of eight, again, still seeing that the the template was fairly simple in order to get this done, Um, and after a Republican autopsy about what went wrong in 2012 and concluded that the Republican Party had to be more open to immigration, more open to to, um, to, uh, Latino uh, uh, um, concerns, 
um, had this deal in the Senate passed 68 to 32, a compromise immigration bill that, that, support, that had border security elements of it, expanded immigration pathways. 14 Republicans um, voted on it, but since in the much more conservative House of Representatives, it never saw the night of day, although the light of day. And what's important is in that audio that you heard, that was in 2016, 2015, probably still 2000, early on in the primaries. That was Ted Cruz excoriating Rubio, who was one of this gang of eight, and calling it amnesty. Um, when, in fact, it was what I had described, you know, basically letting people out of the shadows, making them pay a fine. But it was a sign that anyone who stepped forward, who said they were going to even participate in trying to solve this problem, uh, were going to get labeled as being in favor of amnesty. And that's, a, that's something that exists today. Interestingly, um, Donald Trump never legislated on immigration either, although there were efforts to kind of codify the, bag, the, back, the, the crackdown on undocumented people. House Republicans um, and even some Democrats said, let's go ahead and do that. But Donald Trump showing his inability to legislate, even in the most basic way, right before this was about to become, become law, this bill that theoretically he should have liked, he tweets out that, that his colleagues should stop wasting their time on immigration. Long story short, it had become clear that participating as a Republican in, any, uh, in anything that resembled um, immigration reform was going to get you labeled as being in favor of amnesty. And today, there is really no room for comprehensive anything because comprehensive means compromise. And on the issue of immigration, there is no longer any Ronald Reagan middle ground or even George W. Bush middle ground on immigration. Sure, there are elements of the Democratic left and their traditional parties, uh, partners in the labor unions that, that don't like things like guest worker programs. But the reason that a truly comprehensive fix hasn't been possible is mostly on the Republicans. In addition to vilifying members who have tried, um, you don't hear much about President Marco Rubio anymore. They have done everything to make it more and more chaotic at the border. And, you know, even when Trump was president, he waged war on legal immigration by starving this office, the U.S. Citizen and Citizenship and Immigration Services, USCIS, that was created as part of after September 11th to try to make it more efficient to process people, to separate out basically enforcement side from the processing of legal people. Processing time under, under Trump increased 46% just in his first two years. And by the time Biden came into office, there was a backlog waiting for him of over 3 million cases. These are people that were following the rules. And this delay that was created was not an accident. It was the design. Um, I mean, some things Trump did to try to stop legal immigration were almost comedy. He issued via presidential um, proclamation uh, a, a provision that would bar issuance of visas to immigrants. Remember, these are people who applied for legal visas to immigrants unless they can show that they how they will obtain health insurance within 30 days of their arrival in the United States or otherwise demonstrate how they can pay for medical expenses. That's right. The Trump administration had brought back the individual mandate from health reform requiring people get health insurance, but only for immigrants. Um, you know, this, this commitment to freedom notwithstanding 
Um, and by the way, that change would end up excluding about two thirds of future immigrants. It was litigated and, and, and eventually thrown out. And the week before he left office, Trump, in order to make things complicated, he, he put another regulation in place that required all border towns and cities, and think about how many that is, to be notified and to accept input before the executive branch could act on any immigration policy. This is what he did in January of 2021, just as he was leaving office. Now, these things didn't stand up, but they did slow things down. And I say they didn't stand up because there are things that a president and an administration can do by virtue of their power to enforce rules and run agencies. By starving parts of the government of resources or by expressing their priorities for enforcing actions, all presidents can do things at the margin. Obama simply decided, I'm not going to pursue dreamers. And Trump simply didn't process legal immigration applications and starved the agency that did it. And so too is Biden. He's seeking to manage the problems at the border in that gray area of executive action. Um, For example, he's decided that in order to apply for asylum in the United States, an applicant needs to show that he or she has not passed through another country without first applying there for asylum. The problem with this is it isn't the law. This is an appropriate place to make one point, by the way, about these are human beings that are showing up and asking for asylum. They're not illegal anything. They're not illegal immigrants. When they appear and ask for asylum, they are following the laws of the United States of America. And we have a lot of these asylum applicants. We have them from Venezuela, from Haiti, from Ukraine, from Afghanistan, from Turkey, because you know, still from their earthquakes. And when they arrive and ask for asylum, they are legal immigrants doing that. Now, they may not actually prove to be eligible for asylum, but while they are processed um, and they are doing it according to the rules, just like our grandparents did. So ultimately, we need Congress to help. Um, And are they doing it? Well, surprisingly, they sort of are. The House Republicans, they recently passed a bill after four months of campaigning how they were against immigration, they finally figured out what they wanted to do. And essentially, it's to end the asylum system as we know it, build a wall, and then to study whether to call cartels terrorists. A funny thing about that last piece, you know, the, obviously they've been saying that we they're terrorist organizations, we should bomb them and everything else, but they, they look carefully at the laws of the United States. If they were to declare that the Mexican cartels were terrorists, all of those people who live nearby Mexican cartels would suddenly be um, uh, able to come into the United States as asylees because they'd be able to show that they're under terrorist attack. So they rolled that provision back and said that they're just going to go study it. Now, none of this is going to become a law. The Senate is going to take it up. The president wouldn't sign it. But maybe the president and the Senate should treat this non-serious bill as an opening offer um, in a new effort to actually do something. Um, but I think we know at the end of the day, it isn't. And when I and others talk about the need for bipartisan courage in dealing with immigration in a smart, comprehensive manner, it should not be heard that both sides are equally at fault. Democrats may have issues with the details, but the Republican Party has a much bigger problem. They don't want a solution. They, they want the issue. Um, And since this will remain an issue until those same Republicans decide to get into the solutions game, 
Biden has a real loser on his hands that he has to manage on his own. And we'll be right back with Listener Mail. Each week on The Middle Unplugged, we like to dip into the mailbag. Recently, we've been doing kind of a hybrid of that and taking some comments that some public officials have made. We've even taken issue with some of the other hosts here on um, on 77 WABC Talk Radio. Uh, I have a radio show uh, that is kind of a companion to this podcast. It's called The Middle, Sundays, sorry, Saturdays at two o'clock. And obviously we take a lot of calls there. Um, and you can reach me by uh, wienerwabc at gmail.com or uh, we, Anthony D. Wiener on Facebook and uh, Rep Wiener, R-E-P-W-E-I-N-E-R on Twitter. Today comes an email from Saul in Flatbush. Um, he asked why I'm ignoring Biden's opponents. Uh, I'm not the only one. Uh, uh, Marianne Williamson and RFK Jr. both announced that they are Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, are both announced that their uh, opponents for they're, they're going to stand in the primary against Joe Biden. Uh, Siena College is also ignoring them. Siena College did a poll of New Yorkers and found that 56% support Biden and 40% for someone else. And when they put the list of the someone else's, um, they neglected to include his two actual opponents. Uh, but I have been mildly curious about Robert Kennedy Jr. And Saul doesn't mention which opponent he's talking about, but I'll mention RFK Jr. Um, he says and does things that have made it hard for me to take him seriously, I'll be honest. As a matter of fact, let's listen to something that he said just this week. At some point, is going to have to debate President Trump, you know, who's the presumptive nominee of the Republican Party. President Trump has shown himself to be the most uh, devastating debater uh, probably since Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, uh, you heard that right in his uh, raspy uh, voice, which I understand is, um, I read an article that explained why he has that voice. It has something to do with a health condition that he has. But anyway, to describe Donald Trump as the most devastating debater since Abraham Lincoln, well, this is kind of crazy on a few different levels. One, this guy's a Kennedy. Uh, he's had presidential candidates in his own family that have been pretty darn good debaters. And um, and so it's kind of odd for it to come from him, but also this mythology that uh, Donald Trump was a good debater. He he was not. In fact, you can say that one of the, 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 the nails in the coffin of 2020 was his yelling, rambling, interrupting debate that he had uh, against Joe Biden. Um, he has duck debates in the uh, in the Republican uh, in the Republican primary. He said he's not going to debate his opponents this time around. He is not a great debater, and in fact, I've always been under the impression that Democrats very much want to have Donald Trump on stage as absolutely as much as possible. We saw just last week when he appeared at CNN how undisciplined he is and how he simply gets stuff wrong. Um, so I think it's just wrong, but it does raise something about RFK Jr. I mean, it is hard to see, you know, his rationale seems to be, I mean, look, he's an anti-vaxxer and frankly a, a crazy one and one who has given aid and comfort to, I would say, the enemy of good health policy here in the United States and certainly doesn't sit very well with most mainstream Democrats. Um, but also he has 
gone on and given oxygen to some of the most right-wing people on media. He went on with Tucker Carlson and, and, um, and, you know, frankly, espousing views that don't seem to be in the, in keeping with mainline the Democrats. But more importantly, um, it's not clear if he's attacking, you know, he's, he seems to be attacking Joe Biden as a tool of Wall Street. And as we've been hearing over and over again on the airwaves of 77 WABC radio, isn't Joe Biden a communist or a socialist or something like that? I'm not sure coming at him as being a tool of Wall Street is a, a, a resonant message. I think maybe hitting him from the left would be more appropriate. But frankly, Joe Biden is sort of unassailable as the candidate, notwithstanding his glaring weaknesses, because he has the credential that Democrats want and need the most, and that is the ability to defeat Donald Trump. Um, if that seems like a very narrow reason to have him <laughs> to, as the front runner, perhaps it is. But I think that poll after poll has shown two things. Uh, one, that Joe Biden is unpopular in his party and unpopular in the country. And two, that Joe Biden um, can beat Donald Trump. He served that in 2020, and the polls reflect that today. So I will spend more time focusing on RFK Jr. and Marianne Williamson and whatever other candidates get in the race. I think it's fair that I do that. I have focused a fair, fair amount on the Republican primary field, and I'll try to do a better job um, both for Saul and for anyone else who is interested. Like I said, if you'd like to be part of this segment or if you'd like to just give input, there are many ways to do it. Um, WienerWABC at gmail.com, at Rep Wiener, and um, uh, Anthony D. Wiener on Facebook. And there are also many Facebook, uh, many um, podcasting applications that allow you to leave comments and leave rating. I would encourage you to do that and also share it. That's the way people learn about this uh, this podcast. I hope that, um, that you've had an opportunity to subscribe yourself. Uh, I will be back with you next week and I will see you on the radio live on Saturdays. And until then, this marks the end of The Middle Unplugged. <laughs>